It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another sparkling edition of Plank of the Week. We are back in the studio and I'm joined by Patrick Christie's for the first time on Plank of the Week. Patrick, very good afternoon to you. And Emily Carver, a veteran of the plank list uh, from some time ago. Both I'm looking forward to today because not only are you possibly young enough to be my children, you're possibly young enough to be my grandchildren, which is quite disturbing, really. Um, but listen, Patrick, since you are uh, here for the first time, I think we should give you the honours uh, to kick us off with your first plank of the week. All right, well, I couldn't narrow it down to one person. I've gone for universities. Right, Okay. that so, sounds good to me. <laughs> they've always they've always annoyed me. Most of my friends got a two one. I got a first in cirrhosis of the liver when I was there. <laughs> but but the big news this week is that unis are going to continue to charge the full nine thousand two hundred and fifty quid <laughs> annual tuition fees, even if campuses remain closed and there's no face to face classes, which right. I think is is taking the mick a little bit. The average wage of a vice chancellor is two hundred and fifty three grand a year as well. So they're not short of a quid or two. Um, but but look, I mean. There are some ridiculous courses out there. You can do David Beckham studies at Staffordshire University. You can do brewing and distilling at uh, Harriet Watt University and contemporary circus and physical performance at Bath Spa. So that's worth the 9,250 <laughs> quid a year. Well, I'm I don't, sure I, who I don't know who ever thought that if you said to these universities, you know, you can charge anything you like up to 9,000 pounds, <laughs> that they wouldn't all just go, OK, 9,000 quid it is then, Patrick. Exactly. So 75% of all English universities, this is in 2018, and this figure has gone up now, but... Uh, they are charging the absolute maximum. Um, but 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 the fact as well is, and this is the, this is the thing that you come out of university, you know, with with just just a lifetime of debt. You've got seventeen billion quid is loaned to students every single year, and most of that gets put straight down their throat. You know, so one hundred and twenty one billion quid of outstanding loans just to go to university and come out with a Desmond. And also, presumably now at the moment, Emily, there's not a lot of point in coming out of university at all, is there? Because there's not going to be any jobs. There's not going to be any, any, any work to do. So, I mean, unless you're planning to stay at university for the rest of your life, I wouldn't bother going. I think we've got to blame Tony Blair, really, for saying that 50% of people should go to university. I mean, most people think, why? Yes. Don't they really? Well, they really do. And the other thing that they say about Tony Blair is, why does he keep popping up on the news to tell us what to do? Does he not realise that nobody's interested in what he's got to say anymore? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the great virologist Tony yeah Blair. absolutely right so let's have your first one emily who are you going for so i'm gonna go for lefty commentator jeremy corbyn fan owen jones oh yes this week he's got to be my top plank i think um mainly for his stupid and incredibly cynical attempt to smear michael gove and his wife sarah vine based on their book collection yes now i'm not i'm not sure if everyone watching will have uh 
will have um, been following his social media and the uh, media that's come out of it. But um, essentially what happened was Michael Gove was giving his daily briefing uh, to the news and Sarah Vine was at home. She took a little snap. Her bookshelf was behind was behind Gove. And there was a book by a Holocaust denier, David Irving. And so Owen started to went straight onto Twitter and said and accused them of defending hard right ideology because he had this book on his shelf. And let's bear in mind that he had, what, 200 other books up there? Yeah. Hundreds of books. He had a huge collection. And I mean, this is pretty ironic coming from um, Owen Jones, who tried his darndest to get Jeremy Corbyn, who's been accused of being an anti-Semite, or at least of allowing anti-Semitism to become rife in the party. I mean, they're still under under investigation by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. And Owen Jones is trying to accuse Michael Gove, who has been one of the biggest voices. If you know anything about Michael Gove, you'll know that he is anti-Semitism um, anti as much as anyone could be. So absolute plankish behaviour yeah. and so cynical. I think that he's just a bit upset that he's not getting the media attention he used to, well, I do to wonder, be honest. I do wonder, Patrick, whether Owen Jones spends his entire life with a microphone, with, with, a, with a magnifying glass, you know, looking at all the uh, people that are on TV with bookcases behind them, looking for anything that he can pick up. And clearly he made a massive blunder here, didn't he? Oh, he absolutely did. But I mean, I think it says more about Owen Jones, certainly, than it does about Michael Goh's book collection. You'd be pleased to see, Mike, as well, that I've got no books behind me here. You know that I don't read. <laughs> so it would just be it would just be several copies of Wayne Rooney's autobiography, although I have a, a rather fruity number about that period that Germany doesn't like to talk about. So uh, we might have we might have done that. But um, but no, look, I think it says more about Owen Jones than anything else, didn't it, really? And of course, you're allowed to read stuff that you disagree with. Right. In fact, it helps. Are you? Sometimes. Oh, I thought that had been outlawed by the left. I thought you weren't allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> this is it, isn't it? I mean, does he does he just want just, you know, the relentless kind of right wing books that are there? Michael Gove can't deviate whatsoever from what is what his political uh, ideology is. No, of course, you're allowed to read stuff that you don't agree with. That's, yes. that's the rules. I mean, I remember going back to the beginning of this whole bookcase gate where Dominic Raab, I think, was the guy, was he not, who clearly had just, you know, sort of mocked up what he would have on his bookcase behind him because it was like a book about economic theory, which nobody's got, right? Some other rubbish about something, some international, you know, you know, dis disparate place that nobody had ever heard of. And clearly somebody had actually gone through his book collection and gone, yeah, put that one there, that, that one over there, yeah, that one, that one, that one. You know, I mean, I've had conversations with people at the office here that when you're in some kind of Zoom meeting, the trick is to put some kind of clue down as to how you really live and what you're really like. You know, one of our bosses did a, had an arcade gaming machine behind him and everyone was like, wow, that's the coolest thing we've ever seen. You know, but the, there were suggestions that you could have an old copy of Fiesta magazine lying about that you'd forgotten so people could see just to wind a few people up because, you know, there are people, I'm sure, like Owen Jones out there who do nothing but just look for some kind of, you know, wrong thing that's in the picture and so they can make fun of you. I was just going to say that even more plankish is that this has become a sort of hot media debate now yeah. on BBC and they've brought in lots of different commentators to sort of defend Owen. And there was a woman who was on BBC News, now. I don't know actually who she was, but she was saying, you know, you can you can read the books, but you must put them away afterwards. That's the right <laughs> thing to do. And it's, and it's sort of like, what? 
<laughs> I mean, we often get asked the question, what has gone wrong with the media in this country? And this is exactly what's gone wrong with it. They all think that everyone in the country sits in a study with books in it. I mean, have they never been to parts of the north of England where people live, you know, rather less salubrious lives and they actually don't have a study, never mind a bloody bookcase to put books in? You know, they sit there trying their best to get by with their job, which doesn't pay them very much money, and their kids who quite annoy them and their wife who they don't really like very much, you know. And they're not sitting there reading, you know, copies of James Joyce's bloody Ulysses, are they? Sounded a bit close to home, that one, Mike, I'll be honest. Um, but, um, yeah. I actually, I did have the bookshelf, but since lockdown, I've had to burn them all for warmth. So, um, so you know, that's, that's the way it's going Well, I mean, presumably that'll be Owen Joe's next idea. Let's burn all the books by people we don't agree with. Oh, no, that's already been tried. I'm going to go uh, stick it with the lefty plan, I'm afraid. I have to pick Emma Kennedy, uh, not just in uh, deference to my colleague Dan Wooten, but just because she is the most unbelievable plank I think I've ever seen. It that comes as no surprise to me it turns out she's trained as a lawyer. Some of the thickest people currently on social media are trained as either lawyers or barristers. Jolien Moron, for one. There's that other woman whose name I forget who's blocked me. The secret barrister blocked me after he accused me of libeling him. I had to point out to him that he's a secret barrister, therefore he has no reputation, therefore he cannot actually be libeled. So then he blocked me. And I'm going, you people are supposed to be clever, right? Emma Kennedy complained to Talk Radio and to Dan Wooden uh, that he had somehow libeled her uh, by saying that she suffered from Boris derangement syndrome because if you remember only a week or so ago Boris Johnson wasn't turning up to Prime Minister's questions and all the lefties went nuts and said this is a disgrace he's hiding from scrutiny he won't come out in front and, of, and centre of government he's all he's all right now why is he hiding then it turned out he wasn't actually hiding he was waiting for the birth of his child which is a pretty good excuse not to go to Prime Minister's questions right so she then had put out a tweet which was rather uh, unkind to him which she then recanted and deleted but Dan Wooden quite rightly went on the radio and had a go at her she went from complaining to Ofcom to consulting a law firm, Carter Rucks, one of the worst and most disgraceful law firms in the world when you're talking about free press, then threatening all sorts of legal action to uh, literally reverse ferreting herself in the space of about four hours to saying, I'm not going to bother with you anymore. You're not worth it. And therefore just walked away and then decided to block every single person that works for Tor Edge. Blocked me. I've never even tweeted her. <laughs> Right. I went to and she, she started blocking. She even blocked the producer of the show who had had no interaction with her at all, apart from asking her to send an email of complaint if she wished to complain. I mean, you know, the woman's absolutely and utterly bonkers. <laughs> well, I mean, this just shows, doesn't it? It just shows that this is all they've got left. Some of these yeah. sort of lefties, you know, they lost the argument during the election and now oh, they, no, they won. Do... No, they won the argument, to be fair. I mean, they do say that they did win the argument. The whole, the whole winning winning the argument thing is something that I like to say to the girlfriend shortly before I sleep on the front lawn. So, um, you know, it's like, I won the argument, I won the argument. Yeah, but you are outside, aren't you? So, um, so that. But, uh, but look, I think it's just symptomatic, isn't it, of, of, of the quite bizarre um, lack of tolerance, a kind of hypocritical lack of tolerance that you see from the left, really, yeah. whereby if, you, if someone disagrees with you, even if you've got what is overtly a controversial opinion about something, then their response is to just block you, shut you down, ignore you, ostracise you. Well, right. that's not the way the world works, I'm afraid. Or to try and get you fired. I mean, they'll spend an yeah. entire day having a go at you. And as soon as you say something back, that's racist or sexist <laughs> or, you know, he must be immediately fired from his job. Unbelievable stuff. Let's get on to your second one, uh, Patrick. What is it? OK, all right. The Electoral Commission. Oh, yes. um, so I'm getting stuck into this lot. They're not fit for purpose. So, so they referred Aaron Banks and Leave.eu to the National Crime Agency. They fostered these allegations, of course, that Aaron Banks, Leave.eu, essentially had Russian snow on their boots when it yeah. came to 
uh, when it came to the money and the funding for, for Brexit. The claim was that they'd use this undeclared, unaccounted for foreign foreign money in order to kind of, uh, you know, infiltrate the British psyche, basically, and make sure that we all vote for Brexit. But it just turns out the money all came from Mr. Banks, which you'd have thought if you just went through his accounts, you would have been able to see. And, and it's not the first time that Elcom has been in hot water. There was, of course, the Darren Grimes incident as well. The courts overturned a, a 20 grand fine for him after um, they claimed that he'd broken the rules. Spoiler alert, he hadn't. Um, and it took a judge just two hours to throw the case out. So they just simply can't get their heads around, really, the fact that uh, most people would just want to, of their own free will, vote for Brexit. I mean, they're on uh, 80 million quid a year is Elcom's budget. And, and I think it's probably fair to say they're about as good as seeing what's right in front of them as Stevie Wonder in a dark room. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Emily, it seems extraordinary. I was watching, funnily enough, for the first time just the other night. This is how bored I am. I watched the Brexit, the movie, right, uh, with old cover oh, batch in it, right, which actually was a lot better than I thought it was. But right at the end, the closing credits come and it's got one of those kind of, you know, mystery endings where the, 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 the words come up, you know, um, uh, leave.uk or whatever it was called, um, where were, were referred to the Electoral Commission uh, shortly after the referendum result was uh, was laid bare uh, and they have now been reported um, and are facing criminal charges. And then it ends. They don't add in the bit that actually they were then cleared of all the charges, which yeah. I really think they should add on. Because if you're watching that film now, you're left with the impression that they're still facing charges, which I think is pretty rotten, really, don't you? Well, yeah, I do. And I think the Electoral Commission has a lot has a lot to, to to answer for, to be honest. I mean, the way they treated Darren Grimes, who's a good friend of mine, yeah. I mean, it was outrageous. How old was he? He was, what, 22 when yeah. he had to go through this investigation? And he had done nothing wrong. And it's awful. And it's just the, you know, the establishment, we use that word a lot, but they still can't seem to get to grips with the idea that the people just wanted to leave the European Union. It's as simple as that. Get over it. And they're still talking about it now, aren't they? They're saying, oh, with this coronavirus, this proves that we shouldn't leave the European Union. I mean, the European Union have dealt with this virus really appallingly mm. um, on the whole. They were so slow to react. And um, I mean, it's just farcical now, isn't it, really? Well, I think by the time December rolls around, there literally will be no European Union to leave. It will just be a sort of a rotten carcass lying on the beach at Calais, uh, having been eaten to death by a few sort of rabid wolves. Because there's literally no money left. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think we got out when we needed to, yeah. to be honest. I mean, Patrick, I mean, I, I, I can't say I miss the EU. Uh, I can't even say that I miss arguing about the EU. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to the end of the EU, quite frankly. Absolutely. I mean, I think rejoining the EU or delaying Brexit now would just be like walking back into a building that's already on fire, wouldn't it? <laughs> why, why, why would you do that? You know, the way they've just thrown Italy under the bus right. like, yet again. They've right. had a three major crises to deal with the European Union yeah. recently. They've had the migrant crisis, Brexit, and of course, coronavirus. And they've managed to mess them all up. I mean, I don't really see, uh, you know, and also this is the other thing. If we rejoin, or not rejoin, but if we delay Brexit, then we could end up being liable potentially for some kind of COVID relief fund. Yes. That could be about 1.5 trillion euros. Right. Well, I'm not paying to clean up Ursula von der Leyen's mess, thank you very much. I think we can sort that out ourselves, can't we? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. What's your second one, Emily? <laughs> it's kind of related to the EU. I mean, uh, my second plank of the week is Emma Thompson, who was... Yeah, yes an absolute lover of all things EU. Um, we all remember what she said about the UK. I've got it quoted here. She said she called Britain a tiny little cloud-bolted rainy corner of sort of Europe, a cake-filled, misery-laden grey old island. That's what she yeah. called us. All the best, anyway, Emma. Thanks anyway. So she, she, set off straight to, uh, she set off straight off to Venice, lovely Venice. We'd all like to uh, spend some time there. Anyway, 
a few couple days later after getting her citizenship, she decided to get on a plane back to Blighty um, <laughs> to stay with her uh, mother up in Scotland against the COVID-19 quarantine rules. And um, yeah, so after slagging off Britain, after ditching post-Brexit Britain, she's back in back in the UK. Amazing woman. I mean, this is the same woman who flew all the way from Los Angeles to tell us all not to fly uh, and said <laughs> it was all right for her to do that on the grounds that she was already paying for it, being some kind of carbon offsetting scam, a bit like Elton John. I mean, Patrick, it's hard to believe that these people can actually wake up and look at themselves in the mirror. I don't understand it. They're about as tone deaf as a really rubbish X Factor audition, aren't they? How can they not see themselves? You know, it's all very well. It's like with Sam Smith crying in his his twelve million pound yeah. Hampstead mansion. I mean, I think where would we be, Mike? Where would we be if it wasn't for celebrities keeping us sane from their their luxury multi duplex kitchens that they've got at the moment? Thank you so much for showing me that fire pit that you've got in your garden there. This makes it all bearable. Right. You know, cheers, guys. Absolutely unbelievable. And what's, and, and what's more, before I forget, what was she doing? What's she been doing in Scotland? She's been starring in promotional videos for Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, which oh. it's actually a very nice, un, unbeknownst to you, a very nice link, because I'm actually putting Extinction Rebellion in uh, as one of my planks this week. Because believe it or not, I turned up outside the office the other day uh, and towards the back end of last week, and they had the old uh, the sheep, um, you know, netting out for people. Uh, so in case there's going to be, I said, what's going on? They're like, oh, we've been told there might be a demonstration. I'm like, why? We're in the midst of a bloody lockdown. Who's going to demonstrate outside the building? And they were like, oh, it's Extinction Rebellion. They've said that they're going to have some action over the course of uh, the next few days because what they want to do is make sure that as we recover from coronavirus, uh, we don't go back to the way we were, i.e. we go further backwards uh, into the caveman sort of way of living where we don't have any electricity at all, we don't have any food, uh, and we don't drive anywhere in a car. So they want everybody now to just walk around and uh, cycle everywhere and uh, don't eat any meat. And that's the way forward, apparently, for Extinction Rebellion. He, uh, he thought it was a great idea to do away with economic growth altogether. So, I mean, I'm beginning to wonder whether Extinction Rebellion are actually behind the coronavirus because this is the way it's going. They're taking us away from economic growth. There's no planes in the sky. There's hardly any cars on the road. And we're all going mad. Yeah, I mean, they're saying that we don't need any economic growth. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. People are going to be losing their jobs left, right and centre. I think economic growth is exactly what we need. And we're not going to do that by banning all forms of transport, banning all ways of making a living, basically, which is essentially what they want to do yeah. and going back to being cavemen. Well, this is it. They've now admitted basically, that they want to do away with capitalism, which we always suspected was their kind of aim in life anyway. But they basically said, we don't want any big companies to be able to re-employ all the people that they put on furlough. We don't want the aviation companies to get to get back to normal. We're hearing about redundancies being made. I mean, these are people who are now going to be relishing the fact that loads of people are going to be unemployed and nobody's going to have any money. Well, I actually went to um, one of the Extinction Rebellion rallies to interview a few of the uh, uncooperative crusties, as Boris Johnson called them at the time. <laughs> and I did quite an interesting interview with a chap in the back of a police van who was a doctor and used to be a doctor because I just said to him, when you've got a criminal record, are you allowed to continue to practice? And he just looked at his feet and then he looked back up at me and went, well, I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. You didn't, did you? Anyway, good luck on the job search. <laughs> I mean, it is quite remarkable. They really are quite ridiculous. But let's move on. Uh 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Patrick, your third nomination, please. Right. Well, we've touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to get stuck back into the lefties. Mm. Um, it, it's, been, it's been quite a bad week for them. They got stitched up by the Tories, and uh, Boris uh, announced, of course, that he wouldn't be at PMQ. So MPs like, like Ruth Cabry tweeted things like, it looks like Boris has found yet another excuse to miss PMQs. Well, yeah, I mean, cradling your newborn infant in your arms just just days after recovering from a life and death struggle with coronavirus is uh, it's a pretty good excuse. Of course, he was as well had the uh, the, the the revelation that uh, Dominic Cummins actually was was the one apparently trying to sort out the lockdown as opposed to stop it entirely. So when you look at it in the round, it's just been quite a bad week for for the lefties and someone that I think you might come on to as well, uh, Mark uh, Mark De Stefano yes. as well. It's uh, it, it's not they've not covered themselves in glory yet again. No, exactly right. And I mean, the other one was Jeremy Corbyn, of course. Let's not forget him. I didn't think that I would miss Jeremy Corbyn, but Keir Starmer <laughs> is so boring, right, that I'm actually now longing for the days of Mr. Angry standing there shaking his fist at the dispatch box. You know, <laughs> when are you going to do something about this? And you go, shut up, sit down, you stupid old git. He came into Parliament, right? He's over 70. He lives in Islington. He could have quite easily zoomed in if he wanted to, like everybody else did. But oh, no, he's far too important to do that. He actually believes his own publicity that he can walk on water and it presumably can't die from the coronavirus because he's apparently very fit. And I mean, you know, what an absolute plank he is. So, I mean, you can include him in that set if you want. What do you reckon, Emily? <laughs> I mean, the left have been truly hysterical over the last few weeks, haven't they? They've been, you know, attacking the prime minister when he's just given birth, when he's just literally just survived, yeah. almost come back from death almost. And they still can't help but kick the boot in. And I don't and I think it must be because they lost so badly and the ratings are so low that this is now their modus operandi. This is how they react to bad polling, by making attacks, nasty, nasty attacks, unrepented attacks, unrepented nastiness. And it's just, um, it just doesn't bode well with the public, I no. don't think. And Patrick, haven't they also just lost their general secretary as well? Hasn't Formby disappeared off in the last couple of days, sort of quietly under the radar just before, funnily enough, uh, the report on anti-Semitism comes out? Well, I'd like to have a look at her bookshelf, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, there's this weird thing with the left, I think, where there's so many different divided factions that actually they can't unify and, and mobilise in, in one coherent way, like you need to do at a general election, for example. And yeah, I, I think they've got a real struggle here. There's a credibility gap. I think there's a, a, a potential lack of competency in serious heavyweight politicians. Keir Starmer, I, I think, is, is an improvement on Corbyn in some respects, but is about as kind of engaging as the occasional table that I've got over there. He's the human skirting board, isn't he? Really, he you is. don't notice him. So, um, so, so yeah, they've 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 got they've got a real a real problem, and it's that kind of internal hypocrisy as well. They just can't seem to get over as well. Yeah, I mean, and he's another yeah, lawyer, isn't he? At least he seemed quite genuine in you know congratulating the prime minister on his baby. I'll give him that. He was uh, a little nicer than Jeremy Corbyn, who I don't think has yet to wish uh, wish his congratulations. Surprise, surprise. 
No, well, of course, Jeremy Corbyn just can't bring himself to be nice to anyone who doesn't have the same views as him. You know, he's happy to uh, to wish a happy sort of Palestinian day to the Palestinians, but he's not that keen on St George's Day, despite the fact that he happens to live in England, where the people celebrate St George's Day when they're English. You know, he's a very bizarre character. What's your uh, What's your final nomination, Emily? I'm not sure many people will have seen this. It was on social media. Essentially, Dawn Butler yes. decided... God, they really are getting it in the neck, aren't they, the old lefties? <laughs> Sorry, they've just been so annoying this yeah. week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's got to be Dawn Butler, the lovely Dawn Butler. What has she done? Well, she decided that she'd put out a little... I mean, we all remember her because she denied that biological sex existed. Yes. She said that babies aren't born with biological sex on Good Morning Britain, which... Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's so dim. It's She's so dim. Um, but, yeah, this week she's decided that she's writing an article about microaggressions oh, yeah. on WhatsApp groups. And so she decided to ask her following um, whether they had any stories that they'd like to share with her about these microaggressions. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here wondering, why just why just stick to microaggressions? Why not, why, why not move to nanoaggressions as well, uh, Dawn? I mean, it's just farcical. I don't know why she's such a plank <laughs> and she keeps putting this stuff out. And I was looking through the comments that she had on this, uh, on this tweet. And I must say, about 99% of them were telling her how much of a plank she was. Well, even for, so, so even for Twitter, that's quite a surprise, isn't it? Because I do occasionally wonder at what on earth is going on on Twitter. I mean, I was on it today earlier and Bobby Sands was trending. And I thought, Bobby Sands, what has he come back from the dead? It turns out that it's the anniversary of his death from a hunger strike uh, because he was a supporter of the IRA. Now, why the hell is that trending on Twitter, Patrick? I mean, I can't understand why anyone who's young, who's on Twitter, would even get into that at all. Yeah, Luton is currently trending now, which I think is um, is possibly quite bad news for Luton because nothing good seems to happen there. Well, so actually, I can tell you exactly why Luton is trending. I think it's because McDonald's have announced today uh, that they're opening oh, yeah. 15, uh, 15 outlets, right? Unfortunately for our friends in the north, they're all in the south of England. <laughs> And, uh, and three of them are in Luton, apparently. All right, I'll see you, I'll see you in a bit then, guys. <laughs> I, think, I think there'll be a lot of people doing that. There's currently a, it's not opening till the 13th of May, but the queue for the drive-thru has already started, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Twitter is this kind of, like, void, isn't it, where yeah. all horrible things go to die. I mean, yes. It's easy to end up like the people who've, who've relentlessly been blocking you, Mark, to end up in this little echo chamber where you just think that everything's everything's right. I do think, honestly, that that, that Boris Johnson could post a picture on Twitter of him carrying a baby out of a burning building yes. and Owen Jones would still have a go at him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It would be absolutely horrendous. Well, I'm going to go with you guys for the final uh, the final off here. My final uh, nomination is Mark Stefano, who you mentioned earlier. Now, a lot of people might not know who Mark Stefano is because he's a bit of a media figure. Uh, this is the guy who worked for BuzzFeed ended up getting hired by the Financial Times. He's a massively left-wing journalist. And the Financial Times actually has become this ridiculously left-wing organ. Lionel Barber, who was their last editor, was a massive Remainer. You know, the FT used to be, when I was younger, the one paper that you could rely on to be completely and utterly without spin, without any kind of bias whatsoever. It was purely and simply written for the people who worked in the square mile of the city. And it was not, it didn't have Saturday supplements, you know, which it does now. It didn't have, you know, sort of, you know, guides to restaurants and wine and all that mm. rubbish. It just was a paper about the financial business and about the markets. But now it's become this crazy kind of, you know, um, 
anti-business newspaper. And you just think, what is going on? I mean, these are the people, after all, who did the report into what was going on at Dorchester, if you remember. You know, the shocking news that people who were very wealthy sometimes got a bit drunk and got up to some rather rum stuff. So anyway, so De Stefano becomes this sort of hacker of people's private meetings. He started hacking into uh, the Zoom meetings that were being held at the Independent and at the Evening Standard which was basically an illegal act. Uh, not only did he do it, he did it under his own name. He's that much of a plank that he actually had his name pop up as Mark Stefano, Financial Times, when he joined the meetings. And you think, what sort of an idiot is this? And this puts me in mind of the way that people complain about journalists now and how they're trained. This guy clearly couldn't find a story if he fell over one. And I mean, he's now had to resign from the FT. But of course, he was getting all sorts of congratulations from the likes of Ash Sarker, your friend Owen Jones, who all said, oh, what a terrible thing. That idiot, Aaron Bastardi, as I call him, uh, he uh, actually said to him, oh, well, we all make mistakes. Well, we certainly do, Aaron. You keep making them. And yet you've still got this secretly funded organisation that nobody knows anything about to plant ridiculous, you know, like pictures of Moscow during the communist, uh, you know, sort of putsch against the Jews and you go, this is a good idea. I mean, yeah, I don't know where to stop, really. What, I, what has annoyed me is the likes of Emily Maitlis and, and all these people, you know, people who are supposed to be you know, serious journalists, yes. coming out and going, oh, bad luck, Mark. It's not bad luck. You've just hacked, illegally hacked into a phone call of the Independent as people are getting furloughed. It's not even a story anyone cares about. No. If you're going to into something, hack into MI5. I mean, I suppose the most surprising part about the story for me, Emily, was that there were even any journalists left at the Independent. I thought they'd all been fired. I thought it was produced by one man and his dog. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, isn't it? They, they'll, they'll stick up for each other if they agree with them. And it's, that's yeah, what yeah. it's all about, isn't it? I mean, you've got Lewis Goodall as well, political editor of BBC oh, Newsnight. I mean, what are they playing at by hiring him? Why would you do that? It's just going down and downhill. And you have Owen Jones, Ash Sarkar retweeting them all the time, retweeting these BBC journalists and these supposedly neutral journalists like Mark. And it's it's just crazy. It just It's so easy to see through now. Now we've got social media. Yeah, it really is. Because in the end, they always make the, the, the sort of the, the mistake which kills off their career. I can't imagine what he's going to do next, Patrick. Can you? No, this is it, isn't it? And I think that, you know, we saw the the, the, the lack of public trust in journalists and uh, and broadly speaking, the media, I suppose. And I think this goes and sums it up that that they are there for each other. They're in this kind of little cliquey club that actually is a bit of a closed shop to anyone who's desperately trying to bang in from the outside. And, and the only people who cares about what they have to say a lot, a lot of the time, and, and the, the way that they, the way they ask their questions, is themselves, mm. and the fact that they might get a text from Robert Peston saying "well done," although you'd imagine that would be four pages long. I was going to say, presumably, a "well done" text from Robert Peston makes your phone yeah. burn up and die, presumably because <laughs> of the length of it. <laughs> but I mean, what's sad is that what's sad is that I used to think that Financial Times was, you know, completely um, neutral, completely factual. I used to think that BBC Newsnight was where you went for, you know the facts yeah. and the figures and now I don't watch it I no. don't read the FT because I just don't trust no. it but it's, isn't that a terrible it's a terrible indictment isn't it because that one that statement you've just made used to be true Newsnight used to be a great show when Paxman was the, the guy in charge it was a brilliant show he, you wanted to watch Paxman you know absolutely kind of burn people no matter who they were because it was great fun to watch but he was very neutral and he was he would have a go at anyone and and the same goes for the you know the FT was just a paper of record you know and the I fact saw that it's you now Oh, sorry. I saw you tweeted about have I got news for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I decided to watch like two minutes of it. And it's so God awful. I mean, James O'Brien on there. <laughs> well, if I could just show you the face that James O'Brien seems to have for almost the entire show, it's like this. 
<laughs> I mean, who laughs like that? He hardly said anything, right? And he made that face for the first time when Paul Merton said something about a dolphin in a swimming pool. I mean, it wasn't very funny. And yet he had this kind of grimace as if it was a rictus kind of Joker style grin that he'd found. Um, and it was very bizarre to watch. And also you can't do How I Got News For You without an audience. It doesn't work. I reckon they were told beforehand to sort of over-exaggerate <laughs> their laughs, you know, for effect. It didn't work. No, I mean, I wasn't laughing, that's for sure. So now we've got our nine. Now I'm going to have to say to you, as you know, uh, that I carry one over. And I think it's probably going to have to be Harry and Meghan again this week because, uh, you know, they have re-emerged as the, the, the king and queen of the planks. You know, they're having a birthday party for little baby Archie for his first birthday. And apparently they're not going to make him a cake with any sugar in it because obviously that's bad for you. Meghan has also said that she wants to restart her blog, which is going to be a bit like Goop, you know, the thing that Gwyneth Paltrow oh. did, which the last thing, last thing I saw them doing was steaming other people's vaginas which, to be honest, is not really something I'm really that keen to watch uh, on a blog of, of any kind, whether it's by Gwyneth Paltrow or not. So, you know, I'm not looking forward to Megan's blog because I don't know what she's going to be steaming, presumably Harry's head, you know, as she completely <laughs> transforms him into the biggest sort of, you know, wuss in the history of the West of Hollywood. But anyway, so um, I'm going to ask you now to choose um, Patrick's best one because Patrick just tell us what your three nominations are oh, again God. and Emily yes. Emily can then choose one so I went universities I went electoral commission and I went lefties mm. so Emily what which one of those do you think is the best I think I've got to go for the electoral commission I think that's a good choice I think that's a very good choice that Their means bias is just yeah is it, and it's also time I think Patrick's quite right it's time for them to just be given a massive slap if not shut down altogether Patrick why don't you choose, choose one of mine Emma Kennedy uh, Extinction Rebellion or Mark DiStefano uh, I'm going to have to go for, for, for Mark DiStefano <laughs> and, and actually um, it is actually purely down to the fact that I just don't like him that's fair enough I mean there's nothing like we, we have absolute transparent honesty on this show very unlike almost any other show in the history of shows so Emily tell me your three and I'll pick one who were my three? I had uh, Emma Thompson, Dawn Butler, and uh, who was the other one? Uh, Owen Jones, of course. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to go for Emma Thompson because I think she is the biggest plank of the three that you've put up. So that leaves us with Emma Thompson, Mark DiStefano, and the Electoral Commission. So one of those has to go in order to get to the final two. So it's up to you guys. I mean, um, Patrick, who would you say is the least relevant? And remember that whoever is the least relevant still comes in at number three in the top ten list. Well, well, purely because I want Mark DiStefano to be Plank of the Week. Um, I, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to fall on my Electoral Commission sword here and, okay. and, and move that one out of the way. If okay. so Emily, would that, would that fit in with your thinking? That would leave I us with uh, Emma Thompson versus Mark DiStefano. Yeah, let's do that. Should we do let's that? Have two people. So, yeah, so that's good. So Electoral Commission comes in third. So that means then it's Mark DiStefano versus Emma Thompson. Um, it's a person this week, which is always good. Um, what do you think, Emily? I mean, I want to go with Emma Thompson. She's my top plank of the week this week. I mean, her eco-lovery is just yes. uh, too painful. I would, I would happily go along with that. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, it is the uh, the battle royale, isn't it? Emma Thompson versus Mark DiStefano. In some ways, in some ways, it's the final ignominy for DiStefano, who's had the worst <laughs> week of his life, finally culminating in losing plank of the week to Emma Thompson, Nanny McPhee. <laughs> Absolutely. He just, everything he touches now. Yeah. He can't get anything, you know, the man that can't get anything right. <laughs> 
Well, listen, guys, thank you so much. Very enjoyable. One of the funniest planks of the week I think we've ever done. Emily Carver and, of course, Patrick Christie's. The plank of the week is, this week, Emma Thompson. Congratulations, Emma. Congratulations, Emma.